of George Knapp listening to that UFO podcast and having one hell of a good time. Now, a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Day to day, life comes at you fast, and like anyone, I can get stuck focusing on problems rather than looking for solutions. Whether that's in my professional 9 to 5, on the podcast, or even just as a parent. It can be tough to train your brain to think differently, but it is possible. There is no better time to start making a change than today, and when you finally learn to find your own solutions, there is no better feeling. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish those goals you've been struggling to. For many, using better help has allowed them to unload stress, heal emotional scars, or even help with anxiety and depression. For me, the flexibility of being able to access online help through messaging on the app or even voice or video calls is a win, not to mention it's convenient and affordable. All you need to do is fill in a very brief survey and BetterHelp will match you with a therapist that suits your needs. You can of course swap your therapist at any time. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash that UFO today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com forward slash that UFO. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and I'm delighted to be joined by two former guests on the podcast. They have their own stories to tell and they are both covered in detail on previous episodes, so make sure you do check those out. We have James Iandoli, host of the wonderful Engaging the Phenomenon YouTube channel, and Jay Christopher King, who is co-founder of the Experiencer Group and regular co-host of Witness Citizen now with Sean Rash as well. Gentlemen, welcome both to the podcast. Hey, it's it's absolutely fantastic to be back, Andy. Uh, I love your show, and I'm so happy to be here on such a great occasion. It's awesome. Thank you. And James, I'm sure you echo those sentiments, yeah? Totally, totally. <laughs> yeah, obviously, I love that UFO podcast. It's great being able to talk to you face-to-face again, you know, you know, digitally. Yes. So, yeah, thanks so much for having us. Well, listen, I'm only disappointed that I can't be at this event, and um, I won't lie, there, there were times I checked flights, um, but just with life and all that kind of stuff and my wife giving me a kind of an approving eye um, <laughs> and uh, my passport being out of date that uh, I won't be able to make it. But the event you're putting on, we're going to discuss in detail is an inquiry into anomalous experiences and the phenomenon. Link for that will be in the description. It is an in-person and virtual event with limited tickets on, on both fronts. And that's on, on October 8th this year in New York City, my favorite place in the world. And that's at the Helen Mills Theater. Uh, I'm going to just run through the guests very quickly because it's quite the lineup. And uh, I would say that a lot of lineups who lost Ralph Blumenthal as a guest would struggle to fill that void. But I think it's stellar with the with the replacements as well. So you've got Dr. Gary Nolan, Mitch Horowitz, Dr. Sean Esbjorn Hargens, Darren from Exo Academian, and Dr. Tim Grieve Carlson, hosted by James and Jay yourselves, but also Priscilla Stone uh, of Quantum Witch Cafe and also the Anomalous Podcast Network and Kelly Chase of the wonderful UFO Rabbit Hole Podcast. Uh, and we're going to dig into those guests very soon. Uh, but first off, I want to ask you, how did the conference even come about? What was that spark of inspiration? Who's best to start off this story? Um, I, I could start. Yeah, I mean, so the, I, you can say the genesis of this was with what me and Jay 
you know, jokingly, not jokingly call, you know, New York City UFO Supper Club. And, you know, Jay and I uh, being, uh, you know, we live in the same kind of area, generally speaking. And we started meeting together for, you know, dinners in, in New York City with, uh, you know, between ourselves and other researchers and experiencers. And you know, we're having amazing conversations, right? Uh, really deep conversations. And uh, so that's, that's kind of how we, we started getting together. And, you know, actually Jay had mentioned it to me, like, um, do you wanna, what do you think about doing a conference? And the funny thing about that was, is like for several weeks, I was like thinking like, man, we should, me, me and Jay and the UFO Supper Club, we should do some kind of an event. Um, but uh, I have to admit, Jay's vision was was much greater. I was just thinking like we can do a small thing for like two hours with us or maybe some other people. Um, but uh, it it really took on a life of its own, and um, and we decided to to just do it. Um, Jay, what about you? Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, as James was mentioning, we had been kind of getting together regularly in person about once a month, either just by ourselves or with people that happen to be visiting town. It's, you know, both UFO Supper Club in New York City and this conference, it's taking advantage a little bit of the fact that it's that New York City is such a nexus point uh, for for people and that people are coming through town all the time. And so being able to take advantage of those opportunities to be able to bring people together has been already something that James and I have found really wonderful and engaging and uh, just a fantastic experience to do. So why not take that situation that we, we've been dealing with together and then bring it into the wider community? And so, yeah, you know, I guess it was like, UFO Supper Club three or four or something like that, or just after where we started talking about, hey, maybe we should throw an event together. That'd be amazing. You know, one of the things here is that New York City never has conferences these days, like within this field. And it's such a dense area of the country and the East Coast in general, like most of the U.S. conferences happen out on the West Coast yeah. and or the Southwest. And um, there's been scattered events but it really has been since uh but hopkins passed um for the most part that there have been really active kind of more intellectually driven con conferences happening in or around new york city for the most part and uh james and i would really really like to change that so this is an opportunity to take a solid step in that direction for sure you know, even for someone like myself, clearly not based in the United States, since I started the podcast and getting to know people like yourselves and, and speaking to the wonderful guests that I have, I've looked at after COVID when the conferences have started back up. And like you say, the quickest place for me to fly to tends to be New York. It's the first stop on that East Coast. But like everything tends to be middle of the country, south, right over on that west coast. And that just adds on hundreds and hundreds of pounds and additional accommodation. And it just makes it all that harder to get to. So like I say, if, if I had more notice, not blaming you gents, this is something that if it had been a bit further down the line, I would have been like, yeah, I, I could make that because you're you're expanding. It's not just a, a New York audience. You've got people who who are 
um, Katie Howland is, is traveling from the, the UK over for this event as well. So you, you're opening up to an international market as well, aren't you? Yeah, there are people coming from the UK. There are people coming from California. I know folks coming from Texas, Minnesota, Ohio, Maryland, all over. And, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And there's a hunger for, I think, you know, in this kind of pandemic, post-pandemic, however you want to frame it, uh, mindset where people have been cooped up for so long and people have had time during the pandemic to kind of look into whatever their fascinations have been. You know, it's been a period of rerouting for a lot of people. Some people took up bread making. Some people got really into ufology, you know what I mean? And anomalous studies and really kind of investing themselves in that. And so we recognize that that there's that there's a hunger for people to be able to meet up in person again and being able to see each other again and you know i think that it'll promote positivity probably within within the field as well because when you're able to kind of break bread with people see people in person engage with them uh physically then you know it tends to shift the conversation and people tend to have a better understanding of each other uh, when they're able to get together. Wouldn't you say, James? Yeah, totally. And and another thing is that, you know, minus the, the lack of events over here on the East Coast, the, the interest is incredibly high. It's it's not that the interest isn't here. It's just that people haven't took the initiative to put together events like this um, on the East Coast and especially in New York City. And I again, I think there's power in um, doing an event like this in the heart of New York City um, kind of like the, the message it sends out. And, and again, in a positive way. And I think that it's going to have a ripple effect and hopefully it encourages other people to do, you know, similar things here on the East Coast. Because, you know, as I'm, I jokingly say, you know, I want UAP to be synonymous with NYC or vice versa. <laughs> and I think it's totally doable. And, you know, there's a lot of great researchers that are actually in the tri-state area over here by New York, New Jersey, Connecticut and the surrounding areas, um, you know, and even D.C. And, you know, within driving distance of New York City, there's a, a ton of great researchers who can, you know, participate in events like this. Let, let me stay. Let me stay with you, James, on that one. What is your target audience for an event like this? Because not only is it face-to-face, there is also that virtual option, which is great for, for listeners on this who, who maybe can't reach NYC or are in the area but can't make it on the day. There's, of course, people who are going to buy tickets because they are interested in the UFO topic. They are researchers. They are just fans of ufology, if you want to call it that. But are you hoping for attention for an event like this outside of that UFO bubble? Uh, in a sense, I would say that uh, the event and kind of the vision and what we're doing, you know, obviously not just the phenomenon, but we included and highlighted anomalous experiences. And so that's a very kind of broad stroke in one sense, because um, that could almost be anything that people would consider paranormal, right? And I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I'm just, you know, at what people consider paranormal generally um, overlap so much with with the ufo phenomenon and so what we're doing here is being inclusive um and and also and I, you know it's it's almost in, in a sense i would say um leading edge but it's it's more apparent now as part of the conversation 
post slide nine. So I'm talking about ATIP slide nine. Take a look at that, right? And you're going to be like, oh my God, that's like anomalous, you know, anomalous experiences type, um, you know, material or what people would call paranormal or the occult, you know, the hitchhiker effect, all that, you know, again, even maybe five or six years ago, people weren't generally um, tying together with the, with UFOs and the phenomenon. Uh, some people who were very deep into the research um, would, would, you know, have made those connections already. But, you know, we have a brand new wave and generation of researchers who are like, wow, you know, the, the Tic Tac uh, Nimitz, you know, event. And you have what happened to Commander Fravor and everybody with the meeting at the cat point and what, you know, somebody like John Alexander would call a sentient uh, precognitive intelligence, right? And and that actually is stuff we're including in this event because that, that stuff actually um, falls into the anomalous experiences territory. And, um, you know, and just as a, a direct example, SAIC, um, the, the, you know, contractor company, they did a, a study with the CIA and, you know, this was in the Secret Machines. It was highlighted in the Secret Machines book by um, Peter Lavenda and Tom DeLong. Uh, the, the title of the document is called Anomalous Mental Phenomena, right? And that's basically psi, psychic phenomena, and anything that falls into the consciousness category. Um, and again, after a, a slide nine world, basically, I think it's apparent that that's, you know, it's part of the conversation, not aside from it. Uh, what about you, Jay? Yeah, I agree. I, I think one of the initial inspirations for kind of coming together with this is that uh, we were talking about the Archives of the Impossible Conference um, that was organized by uh, Ra uh, Jeff Kripal down at Rice University and his gym department, the Department of Within Religious Studies and Philosophy of Gnosticism, Esotericism, and Mysticism, which has been kind of like a hiding place for, for academics and intellectuals that have been, uh, you know, very much driven by the humanities and social sciences-based approach towards looking at the phenomenon or anomalous studies in general. And so looking at that wider framework uh, seems really key, right? Because uh, we're just, I think what I liked about that, and I don't mean to speak for you, James, but what we talked about prior is, is that that kind of approach where you can build a bigger tent and create larger conversations, you know, maybe we can stumble upon um, some greater truths through asking those bigger questions as a community that invites in other aspects of the phenomenon or other aspects that might be a little bit tricky for one subset of the community, right? And so we've been, and it's very natural to do such a thing. I mean, look at when we talk about the ATIP or articles in the New York Times, things like that, we're talking about Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal and Leslie herself. We just had dinner with her the other day, and she happens to be uh, one of the people that outed the ATIP program and, and published those now incredibly world-famous cockpit videos. And at the same time, she uh, wrote the book Surviving Death, which you know is much about the survival of consciousness and was turned into a hit Netflix show last year. And she was also very close with Bud Hopkins, or, you know, earlier in, in her life. And so 
when we think about these situations, we often think that, you know, people have to be nuts and bolts. You know, often there's these considerations where you're either a ghost person or a nuts and bolts person or this or that. And it seems like we might be missing a bigger picture and having the opportunity to invite in more academics, more scientists, more people with broader backgrounds and be able to kind of provoke dialogue and conversation among those groups, we might be able to get a bigger picture uh, in, in the near future, which would be great, right? Yeah, and, and just really quick to add to what Jay was saying about the archives of the impossible, um, you know, if, if you think about, um, you know, the Invisible College and Esalen, which, which some people will be familiar with here that, you know, a lot of these people in the background are deep into this stuff are at having those kind of private conferences and um, private conversations. And this is almost like in some way a forward, you know, a public conversation in that same regard where, um, you know, because a lot of times they don't want to be criticized. They don't want their research being interfered with, but uh, it's, it's, I think time for that conversation to be more public and open. I think that's something that we're doing with here. Let's let's talk about that that group that's going to be part of the event. Obviously, we've got um, kicking off. Uh, I'll start with the name, and then I'll let one of you come in, and then we'll run through them. Uh, Doctor Gary Nolan. I think it's fair to say is that the headline name, as wonderful as the speakers are, um, I don't think that's unfair. His star is currently shining very bright. Not only in the world of interviews, newscasts, he's taken over as the, as the face, I think, of the UFO movement currently, especially in the mainstream media. He speaks very well. He's very charismatic. And his appearance with Tucker Carlson not long ago certainly raised a lot of eyebrows as well in, in the general, I think, mainstream. Um, he's a scientific voice leading the UFO movement now, as opposed to, I think he's replaced a Luis Elizondo currently, or temporarily, who knows, who was the government who had come out of the shadows and I ran in a program known as ATIP. And all those questions came in. And as that's as Lewis kind of faded away for the time being for various reasons, Gary Nolan as a scientist has, has taken over that mantle. So if one of you uh, wants to kick off, tell us a little bit about what Gary's going to bring to the conference and why it was important to get Gary involved. Well, I think, um, you know, Dr. Nolan or, or you know, just to say, actually, you know, he's also, he's a professor. So he's professor, mm. Dr. Gary Nolan. Um, so he has the mindset of a, of a teacher, basically, which is an amazing thing um, regarding this topic. And the, the wonderful thing about Gary, I think, um, other than, you know, he's an academic and, and Diana Pasalka had said, you know, ac academics have a different approach to um, their work you know, rather than say the, the, the government or people with, um, you know, classifications where they can't really share, but academics want to share. They actually, they, they have to, they're mandated to share and show their work so other people can, can you know, share and peer review the information and contribute to it. Um, but also, you know, Gary's worked on the materials, uh, you know, he's done the analysis of those. He's done a peer reviewed paper with Valet on that. And, you know, he's worked with experiencers. So, you know, Dr. Gary Nolan and Dr. Kit Green, and I'm sure other people in the background have been doing, um, you know, these, this research with experiencers. And I think, I think 
it's fair to say publicly that Jim Semivan said he was even involved in that, um, you know, along with many others. And, you know, they are, they're doing cutting edge work. Um, you know, whether you want to say, want to talk about the materials that they're analyzing uh, and, you know, obviously the, the technology that Dr. Nolan patented is uh, like the only technology in the world that can do what it does to take a closer look at both UFO materials and, and also experiencers. So I think, you know, being able to kind of have that nuts and bolts, but also the, the side where you're dealing with experiencers and, and the caudate putainment, which is something that he came out with, which you're, you're talking about intuition. So you're, you're basically talking about psychic phenomenon, right? And a possible center in the brain that where that could possibly be tracked. Mm-hmm. Again, he, he will state, he'll be the first to say it's a hypothesis, it's preliminary data, um, but it's being done. It's cutting edge work and the implications of that are, are huge. What do you think, Jay? Yeah, I would, I, I would agree. I think Gary Nolan... You know, Gary has emerged at such a critical juncture, I think. I think it's amazing timing uh, that he's come forward more. And I I love hearing about his kind of decision to do that. And it's incredible that even just in recent weeks, he's talked more about his own experiences with non-human entities and craft. Uh, in that recent documentary produced by Channel 7 Australia with Ross Coulthard and uh, Bryce Sable was involved as well. I think that having people like him that are Nobel Prize nominees, that are, that are such significant figures at significant institutions, you know, he's considered one of the best of the best at one of the best American institutions for science. And so having somebody like that kind of lay it on the line after they already have their own lab, after they already have an endowed chair and things like that. It, it takes an enormous amount of, of, you know, it takes an enormous amount of honesty and credibility and gumption and, and, and I, I, I'm just amazed at the guy. I'm amazed at the guy. And he's a really wonderful person to, to speak with as well, you know, having such a bright figure. And I think that there is something about what the position that G- Gary is at and how he explains himself, as James was talking about, as a teacher, as an educator, uh, that makes him particularly uh, vital at this moment and also the fact that you know he has all these meta he has all these patents for what he's done right and so he's also an incredibly wealthy individual uh, you know not many people know that but he did that himself off of his own inventions right and that tends to shut people up as well you know all of these things tend to shut people up in different ways in terms of criticism and mm-hmm. skepticism and things like that and so you know, if you're looking at somebody like Elizondo, who has so many admirable qualities, you know, there is a different swath of the public that is going to listen to a man like Gary than is going to listen to Lou. And they complement each other in many different ways. And so, you know, as we add voices to the choir, we get to see the credibility build within the topic and within the larger field of anomalous studies in general, I think. 
It's been a tough few years for many of us, juggling a lot that life has thrown our way. As someone with a young family, finances have never been more important, especially with the soaring cost of living day to day. That's where Credit.com can help. There is a way you can begin to take back some control of your financial situation. Extra Credit is a product from Credit.com that gives you unmatched credit coverage. You might have checked your credit score on a free app then when trying to make a purchase on credit, like a car, found it wasn't quite what you expected. Extra Credit from Credit.com gives you access to all 28 FICO scores to see exactly what lenders will see. Extra Credit not only gives you access to those 28 FICO scores, but also helps guard your identity with $1 million ID insurance, dark web scans and data breach alerts. Plus, you can get cash rewards for selecting personalised offers. As someone who, as a student, racked up a lot of debt, I can relate to having to rebuild my credit score as an adult. There's no better time to do this now. The past can't be changed, but you can begin to rebuild your future today. To sign up for extra credit, go to credit.com forward slash that UFO and get started there. To sweeten the deal, you can even get the first seven days absolutely free. It's just $24.99 plus tax a month after the free trial. You can cancel any time. So go check out extra credit today and start working on your credit goals. Yeah, that's really well put as well. And and Gary's backed up by a wonderful uh, supporting cast behind them. And I don't mean that in a derogatory sense at all, because it is. Um, Mitch Horowitz, what will Mitch be bringing to the to the conversation? Jay, do you want to stick with you on this one? Sure. Yeah, Mitch is an amazing uh, award-winning author. You know, he's his books include Occult America, which is an amazing uh, historical read on the spread of kind of spiritual seeking thinking and the understanding of the paranormal through uh, the last 300 years in in the United States. And he's he, he is also an editor, a longstanding editor of, of similar texts. And he's also written for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Time, Politico. But what he's bringing specifically to this conference is that he's going to do a one-hour talk on the academic history of ESP studies and uh, a way forward with academic ESP studies and the base that's already there. And I think that that is an incredibly helpful layer that we can put on, on, on this conversation. Mitch is a very powerful orator. He's an incredibly eloquent speaker, and I think that he can speak to the seriousness of academic inquiry and study um, within these wider fields and and give voice to how we can really have a roadmap for the future. Wouldn't you say, James? Yeah, totally. And again, I encourage anybody who who maybe in the UFO conversation has not heard of Mitch Horowitz before, uh, you're going to hear about him after this event for sure. Um, included in the conversation because I mean if he's he's written wonderful books and he's he's given amazing talks and he has a way of of being such a clear and even down-to-earth communicator about these these topics that seem kind of um, you know again occult or paranormal you know you could uh, attach those kind of words to it but when he speaks about it 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 doesn't even really sound like it when he talks about it. it sounds like oh yeah I get it now so, uh, you know, it's great to have uh, Mitch participate in this event. And again, talking about kind of ESP research is, is right up the alley of um, the whole slide nine conversation. 
And James, we'll stick with you with Dr. Sean Esbjorn Hargens. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that properly. Yeah, Sean, uh, I mean, it's incredible that that we were able to have him participate. Um, Jay could could definitely speak more to Sean just because he's he's been a student in some of his classes and his courses. But I, I came across him uh, actually a few years ago and I was just blown away. He's He's somebody where... After you hear him talk, you're going to say, like, why isn't this guy on, like, that UFO podcast or even, like, you know, all the, the famous podcasts because he's he's such an intelligent dude and um, he can speak to so many, you know, diverse topics from, you know, psychic phenomenon to, you know, UFOs and contact and non-human intelligence in a pretty incredible way. What do you think, Jay? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dr. Sean and Aspirin Hargens, I... I followed his work for quite a while. Um, I took a one-year course with him. He is, he's also a, a Dean of Integral Education and Noetic Sciences at the California Institute of Human Science. And there he has actually created a new program just within this last year, a trailblazing new program that's a PhD program as well as a master's program focusing purely on anomalous studies. It's it's a really unique situation within the United States. There are very few programs like this. You've got Jeff Kripals down in Texas. You've got Sean out in California. And other than that, it's few and far between. You have, you know, lone wolves like Gary that kind of create an island within their community. And then you have people like Sean and Jeff that really try to create a larger umbrella on a program-wide scale to, to be able to... to uh, let people have the academic uh, shade over them to sit and work and really work on things for up to seven, eight years, you know, on these, on these situations within the academic framework and then move on with a PhD. And so he's doing incredible work that way. I know that he's going to have a series of pretty amazing and eye-opening announcements that he's planning on making at the conference, which I'm really excited about in terms of studies and in terms of of published work that's going to be coming up and that's going to be really cool um but i i just love him i i love him as a thinker he's really unique in terms of how he thinks about diagramming the phenomenon and really thinking about taxonomy and thinking about like okay those are the grays you know this is the hitchhiker phenomenon and trying to f- figure out like a mental map mm. for what all of this is because, you know, there's often the tendency to kind of dump things down and say it's all one thing or something like that. And he does a great job of really looking at the differences within particular aspects of anomalous studies and really pokes at those differences and, and uses them to try to create a larger framework for what we're really dealing with here. We have private conversations sometimes where it's like, you know, we might be dealing with like a whole phone book worth of different kinds of entities and intelligences and things like this. We just don't know, but we have to start, you know, writing out that phone book, right? We have to start delineating these differences. And he's taking that incredibly seriously at a program-wide level within an academic institution. And I think that that uh, should be applauded. And I look forward to more people knowing Sean's work in the future. 
well, since James called me out on that one, I'll get his details for for Sean, and uh, I'll reach out to him for after the conference, yeah. and we can hopefully do a follow up. But that that sounds really interesting, Jay. And I've I've mentioned on the podcast before, like really crudely, like I wonder if you know you could get whatever beings may be inside of a flying saucer, and whichever beings may be inside of a black triangle, and be like, oh, do you know each other? And they might be like, nope no idea who those guys are and we just assume oh yeah they'll be coming from all different places but you, you don't know and are they even aware yeah. of each other does it matter to them that they are there and do they even exist at the same time can they exist at the same time and place so yeah that's a, a really interesting conversation to to bring up so i look forward to hearing that one myself absolutely absolutely uh, Darren, uh, also known as Exo Academian on Twitter, um, wonderful voice. Uh, I appreciate, obviously, from a podcasting point of view as well. Um, Darren, I'll, I'll mention because I feel being a podcaster too, I should I should uh, give his shows a shout out. People will know Liminal Phases or Liminal Frames, sorry, which he was doing with uh, Nathan as people know, as a wave soul from Calling All Beings as well. I'm shouting out all the podcast names now. That was on a little bit of a break, but it's coming back very soon, uh, having a summer break. Um, also his own Point of Convergence podcast, which is very popular. Um, Darren is a wonderful host, um, great thinker, great to hear him talk and discuss the UFO subject as well. And I know his recent episode with Nathan, I am sure, for Liminal Frames has just come back as well, talking about the landscape of podcasting especially in terms of ufos social media uh, and where we kind of sit right now and it's a really interesting adult mature conversation for anyone who might be thinking oh i don't want involved in the drama it's not about that it's it's a really intelligent conversation and that's what you always get from someone like darren and and james i imagine darren's conversation at the conference is going to be one that people should pay attention to as well yeah yeah darren um or you know otherwise known as exo academian i think in as far as the podcasting world when when you're talking about things like ufos uh, and especially when concerning subjects like consciousness and the 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 nature of reality and integral thinking um you know darren has such a a great way of of kind of like breaking things down and explaining them it's mm -hmm. like you know each episode is like an essay really um and you know he's he's covered a lot of different things on the his point of convergence podcast and you know i i expect at the, the conference he's gonna do something you know similar along those lines and anytime that darren um covers a theme i think after that conversation you know, even I've been involved in the research for, you know, almost 20 years, and I always come out with uh, different perspectives and, and things I didn't know. So having Darren there to present and, and talk at, at this conference, I think is kind of exactly along the lines of that theme of, you know, both cutting edge and being inclusive, um, while, while kind of being able to touch on such a, a wide, you know, spectrum of, of subjects. What do you think, Jay? Yeah, I'm really excited about uh, Darren joining us. You know, he's just reached his 70th episode. He just published his 70th episode of Point of Convergence. And this is a guy who takes on such big topics every time he does an episode. You know, he methodically writes out each one ahead of time. So he's basically reading like a 45 
minute to an hour long talk every time he publishes one of these things. And he's talking about things like what's the fundamental nature of reality? What is time space uh, fundamental? Uh, who are ultra terrestrials and where are they? These incredibly huge and thorny topics that, you know, you could take two of his episodes and that might be one person's whole career, like thinking about the the nature of space time or something like that. And he, I, I have to admire people like that, that really kind of swing for the fences intellectually within what they're trying to do. And I, I think it's amazing. And we're both honored that this is Darren's first public conference appearance doing a talk um, since kind of coming forward. It was just a few months ago that anybody knew what his face looked like and yeah. that he told folks what his first name was. And and that was on James's James's show, Engaging the Phenomenon, just a few months ago. And I'm sure the response uh, to that was pretty wild, wasn't it, James? Yeah, for sure. And it, it's, you know, it's notable that, you know, uh, Darren or Exo Academian has gleaned some insight from attending the, the Monroe Institute event where they were doing, you know, human initiated contact, you know, at the Monroe Institute and, you know, utilizing all these contact modalities. Um, so that, you know, he has that kind of to bring to the table as well, some background and whatever he may have learned there. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, no, that, sorry, G, I cut you off there. But yeah, that, that is one to look forward to. Darren's wonderful. And like you say, it's nice to have the, the face to put to the name because for a long time, um, God, I think it was well over a year ago, I think I reached out to to Darren before he was known to say, would you want to come on the podcast sometime? And for obvious reasons, he was wanting to just stay in the background. But that's maybe one to to get on in future if he'd do me the pleasure. And then uh, finally, we've got Dr. Tim Grieve Carlson, who wants to take that one for us, gents. Well, I, maybe I'll start. I, I met Tim down at the Archives of the Impossible conference uh, through Jeffrey Kripal. Uh, Tim Grieve Carlson is kind of a star student of Jeff's. And for those that don't know Jeff Kripal's work, um, he's one of the most significant academics working in the United States. And he's a very key figure behind the scenes in terms of, of pushing forward the dialogue. He organizes a series of private conferences that I, I wouldn't want to even get into too far uh, in terms of what he's doing there. But he's a really bright figure. And, you know, he did an amazing thing, Jeff, in terms of of creating this new Archives of the Impossible at Rice, which has collected uh, Jacques Vallée's archive, for example, Whitley Strieber, a lot of uh, archival material from Whitley Strieber. Uh, collected things from uh, NARCAP, from Leslie Kane, uh, from the physical medium, Stuart Alexander. There are a lot of interesting uh, folks that all of a sudden their documentation, all of their, their effects that they'd like to put forward, their writing will be kept and preserved uh, for future generations of academics that might even take these subjects more, more seriously in the future than do now. And so that an academic institution like Rice was able to put serious money behind this effort is a big deal. And so they've started this series of conferences themselves from the academic framework. And Tim Grieve Carlson both is a key figure in the archives themselves uh, in that he organized Jacques Vallée's 
quote unquote secret archive down at the archives of the impossible, which is not going to be revealed until about 2027, I believe. And he also helped put together uh, the conference and other people's effects down at the archives. So he's a significant figure uh, in terms of what he's been kind of doing in terms of the grunt work of, of putting together like Valet's archive. And at the same time, he's a brilliant speaker, incredible. And he has a book that's going to come out very soon that's about um, early anomalous phenomena that was encountered by the American settlers and how it was recorded at the time, how it was processed at the time, and how people, what people thought about it at the time. And so it will really augment the work of, say, like Wonders in the Sky, the the Chris Aubeck, Jacques Vallée text, and things like that, where we're, we're, or situations like even in American Cosmic, where Diana Pasolka was talking about anomalous phenomena situations that were happening centuries ago. And so Tim is going to be key in that movement in terms of like fleshing out the history. And he's also going to be delivering a new talk uh, for the conference that creates a contemporary framework for how to look back at those historical cases of ecology and environmental phenomena and anomalies and how we process them. And, you know, he's, he's another guy that swings for the fences and I'm excited to see what he has to say, James. Yeah. I'm really honored that he, he decided to participate in this event with us. And again, I think he's going to be somebody where, you know, he, he may not be very well known now in the UFO community, so to speak, but I think he will definitely become a more prominent voice and researcher. And, you know, I'm glad that, you know, we can have this conference and, and put him out there, so to speak, and in a way where he can talk about this in, in the framework of, of the UFO phenomenon. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful group you've put together, especially for a first attempt at a conference, let alone if this was your 10th and you were seasoned seasoned um, hosts of, of these types of events, which I'm sure you'll, you'll grow to be. And it's, I'll, I'll definitely try and get to the second or third, I promised. Um, what I would like to know, though, is on a recent update you shared on the on your own channel, James, it was Jay himself said he couldn't say too much, but you mentioned that not only would someone in person attending get a seat in the room, but potentially there would be some other interesting names in the room as well, buying tickets. Now, I'm not necessarily asking you to name who else will be there, but let, let's expand on it a little bit. What types of folks are you expecting to turn up? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a tough one, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> it is. That's a tough one. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I think that there's going to be people that are, that are attending the event who who people will will know by name for sure. <laughs> That's, I, I don't. I really don't want to, uh, you know, uh, put anybody out there for you know. That's kind of at their own their own um, decision. Yeah. Put it this way, you know, if you've been following this field for a while, you're going to know a lot of people in the audience. Again, this is a very small room. It's a very intimate situation, and it's important to note that at this point. For your listeners, as kind of a public service announcement, we have 19 tickets remaining for live in person, 19. So if you hear this podcast, jump on the link if you're interested in coming out, no matter where you are, in New York, if you're on the East Coast, wherever, 
Uh, if you'd like to join us, please feel free. And if you'd like to join online, we we have plenty of room for you and we'd love to have you. But, you know, there, there are going to be people in the audience. We could probably make three other conferences just based on some of the people that are going to be showing up that day. And when when people actually see who's there, that's not going to seem that that's not going to seem like an oversell at all. I don't think, James. Yeah, I agree. And again, I, I, I I'm very careful what I want to say who's who's coming and things like that. But yeah, absolutely right. I mean, the, the part you know, the people that are going to be in attendance, you know, that's all, that would be a conference within itself. And I think when you when you get to attend these conferences. I'm I'm very fortunate I'll be hosting Awakening in Manchester on October 16th for anyone who's attending that in the UK. That's got Whitley Strieber, Richard Doty, Mike Barra and Steve Mera, um, which is, is, is probably a very different conference to what you gents are hosting here. It's a different aspect to the UFO conversation and associated phenomena as well. But when you attend these conferences, the, the thing I enjoy the most, I think, is is meeting and talking to the other people who are attending with you. That's not to say that you've got Chris Merlin and Lou Elizondo sat either side of you, nudging you now and again, going, that was wonderful, that presentation, wasn't it? And that's not a clue who's attending, folks. I'm just picking two names out of the ether. Um, but it's getting to talk to like-minded individuals, meet people face-to-face, meet new friends, you know, hear new ideas, discussions, as you have those breaks between the talks, the bar afterwards, as, as people start to have a couple of drinks and, you know, share new ideas. And that that's really, like you say, Jay, having COVID and all of that wiping out kind of a year and a half or two years of, of us getting together, I think people maybe appreciate these a little bit more. Um, and, and that's why I kind of look forward to it with these conferences starting back up. And I think this is what a conference like this c- can certainly contribute. Um, obviously, I won't ask you to go into more detail or share initials or, or give us a clue. Does it rhyme with Dob Lazar or anything? But, you know, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think even by the time this podcast goes out, those 19 tickets will likely be gone. But if people should check anyway, I'm going to share straight away on social media once we finish recording again to say, here's a link, 19 tickets remaining, folks, get them before they're gone. And I'll be joining the, the virtual event online like I hope many, many others do as well. One more thing I want to get to before listener questions was there was a conversation, a little bit of a heated debate between a couple of, of very well-known and respected podcasters Um off the back of something, Jay, I know you had you had said, and this was to do with experiencers uh, reporting their abductions to the police. Mm. I actually brought this topic up earlier today, literally hours ago, with someone who has no interest in the UFO topic, just uh, a friend, and uh, they're very high level with any kind of interest, and very much on the side of not really believing unless they see it themselves, and they actually have a question for you both later on as well, and listener questions, um, mm-hmm. but I mentioned that it was it was, it was was going between a few people, should experiencers report abductions to the police? And I know this was a conversation that went back and forward and I thought it was a really interesting take on how does that conversation even go? Because I can see both sides. I can see the for and against. And Jay, I think you had mentioned that you were you were very much for if someone well, has had that sort of experience reporting it. Well, in in my you know, it's a very tricky subject. And I, mm. I think that this is one of these situations where What's what people should maybe do right now 
might be a little bit different from if somebody's listening to this two years on, you mm-hmm. know, and two in even just a few years, there might be better better workflows for how to report and there might be better strategies and there might be less stigma and we hope more normalized conversations along these topics uh, than there are now. But it's it's a very challenging and tri- tricky subject, right? Because uh, if you see something in the sky and you call it in and report it, that seems like it's one thing. If you say, if you were to call into your local police department and say that there are you know, beings in your home or something like that, depending on who's on the other end of the phone, they might perceive that in a very different way than many people in our community might even, you know, and even within our community, it's a hot topic, Mm -hmm. right? People are okay with there being like these mysterious futuristic looking crafts in the sky, but there are people that inwardly have a lot of challenging conflicting issues about whether there's actually a being in one of those crafts or not. Right. Yeah. And and being able to broach that conversation and and being able to say, like, okay, like, look, people see things, people see entities, people see the and we need and we depend on people to say that they've seen these these things. Right. Craft beings, anything. If you see something, say something. Right. It's important. The whole field depends on people making reports. If we didn't have those reports, we'd have nothing to go on within this community. And so, you know, that creates a base. It creates a base in in a situation where we need to respect the people that are making these reports on a very basic level. We need to make it okay to be able to make these reports. And people can say like, oh, I don't I don't know about this. I don't know about that. But, it, you know, it's important to have a clear and respectful line of communication by which people can make reports. At the same time, you know, in places like the United States, it's varied in terms of, you know, what you're who you're going to get if you call the police. Right. You know, and I'm right now and I'm in Virginia. I'm in I'm near Virginia Beach today. Earlier today, I was in Jersey City. I might get a very different police officer on Mm -hmm. the other end of the phone and you could find yourself in a situation I've talked to experiencers that that they worry if they make reports whether they're going to lose their kids because it's going to they're all of a sudden they're going to be in this this flow with kind of the community framework where somebody makes a report and then it gets funneled over to child protective services or something like that god forbid and somebody might lose custody of their own children because they make a report right yeah and and so we're in this strange kind of wild west landscape still with regard to these issues, it's one of the main reasons why, you know, the language in, in the new funding bills and Congress and things like that couldn't come soon enough because we need to normalize these conversations and we need to destigmatize these topics so that people can safely talk about these, even with pe- people in positions of authority like the police, um, without wondering whether there are going to be negative repercussions for them. Folks, at the start of this year, I got a bit of a health scare and it kick-started me to getting fitter, healthier and generally looking after myself better. A healthier breakfast was high on my priority list and it should be for you too. 
Magic Spoon is the perfect way to get in your morning protein, eating cereal that tastes like it did when you were a kid without all the bad stuff. I can promise you there is nothing unidentified in this cereal. The variety pack has four flavours including cocoa, fruity, frosted and peanut butter. This pack has 0 grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein and only 4 net grams of carbs. There are only 140 calories per serving. It's keto friendly, gluten free, grain free, soy free and low carb. It's delicious but super healthy cereal that really brings joy to your mornings, afternoons or actually any time of day. Go to magicspoon.com forward slash that UFO to grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use our promo code that UFO at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if for any reason you don't like it, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to get your delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com forward slash that UFO and use that code that UFO to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. No. <laughs> what, what got me thinking to bring this up as well was it, it's to, it, to see that conversation together about potential experiences slash abductions, whatever that may be, conscious or not, with reporting something to the police is just such a while. It, it brings it back to reality as we, as we know it, that you report that to the police. But you mentioned a, a Dr. Sean Esbjorn Hargens who who has these diagrams and creates those links between, okay, here's one phenomena, here's another phenomena. And as you, as you go out that diagram, the phenomena is going to wildly vary as to what people can believe, what they choose to believe, what in their own heads they can rationalize as being realistic. And then what is, it was too extreme or, or too woo, as some people like to say. And I just think looking at the cast of speakers that you have, some of these are, are all of these, these people can draw those lines between, like you say, okay, people are reporting a craft in the sky, you know, but I've just done a deep dive on the Phoenix Lights. People reported the Phoenix Lights. Is it taken seriously? Was it taken seriously? No, it wasn't. And we know that. How do you get to that point? Like you say, of I've had an experience. Is it a criminal act? Should I report it? And, and who do I report it to? And I think you're right that you say in a couple of years' time, that landscape could look very different as to how and when maybe not necessarily experiences or abductees can report to, to the police, but there would be something there. A Gary Nolan with the work he's doing, uh, talking about various types of phenomena is still for all Gary's being very outspoken and a wonderful speaker. He still, I think knows cleverly where to draw that line right now for that mainstream perception. And you just have to keep towing forward over the line more and more each time. Um, and we've seen that with other speakers in the last couple of years as well, where they say more and more as time goes on. But it's, it was a fascinating idea of a discussion. And God, you could do a whole podcast discussion on that. That's one for Darren, no doubt, as well, for one of his one of his essays for two hours to dive into. But James, what, what's your thoughts on the how do we get to that point where we have experiencers potentially reporting abductions, not just to the police, but having them taken seriously as well? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Jay was exactly right in, in what he said that like the, the current infrastructure uh, I don't think is is even prepared for for that uh, you know unfortunately and uh, you know and that's part of the issue with the lack of transparency over the, the last 80 or 90 years with this issue um, if if you know there wasn't an embargo uh, we may not you know these type of issues may have already 
you know, had been resolved. There might have been an infrastructure for people to be taken seriously, heard, and and not criticized or have to fear for their job or like Jay said, custody. I know when I had experiences, there's no way I would <laughs> I was going to report that to anybody, not even MUFON, in my opinion, because I was just like, you know, you're, you're questioning yourself hard enough, you know, forget about what uh, an institution who thinks that this subject is, is kind of for like uh, crazy people in, in a sense. And now that stigma has, has greatly diminished thanks to, um, you know, Dr. Gary Nolan, Lou Elizondo, Christopher Mellon, and, and, and the dozens of people who have been working in the background to make this a serious topic. And actually, uh, you know, I have a friend, uh, people might know him, his name is Daniel Ingram. And he, he's been working on a project called um, the Emergent Phenomena Research Consortium, EPRC. And it's geared more towards awakening and meditative and peak experiences. But the, the kind of idea of contact with non-human intelligence or entities is something that actually happens to people when they're just doing deep meditation or, or, you know, what have you. And what he's trying to do with the EPRC is create infrastructure. So when somebody has even an awakening experience or an experience like this with a, with a non-human intelligence, you know, where you, there, you can actually go to somebody who's experienced, talk to them, um, and they are trying to do science with it as well. So not only is it going to be documented and um, they're going to try to what you can do EEG scans and different things to try to track some of these experiences and see what more you can find out. Um, and, and better yet, because he was an emergency um, room trauma doctor, you know, to get this stuff not only taken seriously, but put into medical codes so you're, you can bill it on your insurance. Right. And as, as Daniel said, experiences like this are scaling. There's only more happening. Um, and as as this kind of, you know, because if if you if you looked at everybody right now and, and like in a, on a broad spectrum, you, you'd have no idea who's an experiencer because so many people keep it to themselves. They don't even tell their friends or spouses. And I guarantee you, um, as this topic becomes more open and less stigmatized and you know basically officially acknowledged you're you're gonna you're gonna hear from a lot more people who've had experiences um so again that the infrastructure is needed I, I really don't think it's there yet but you, you need the infrastructure and you need resources and you know thankfully i, I do think that we are headed in a situation where um this is going to be taken more seriously and you are going to be able to credibly um, go to somebody to make a report, whether it be um, the police, whether there's a special, um, you know, person within uh, psychology or medical field um, where there's going to be a department for something like that. I'm not sure what it's going to look like, um, but again, I, I think that's in time to come. Again, and as I said, personally, I've never reported any of the experiences I would have because I, I, I never wanted to be criticized or looked at as crazy, um, you know, unfortunately. And, 
we've discussed the experiences at a very base level, but if people want to hear more of, of both your stories, you've you discussed them both on your own podcast ad nauseum too. I both interviewed both of you one to one and you, you laid out things wonderfully on those and people I would encourage to go back and listen to those so we're not treading over over that ground. And I've got a few questions to finish up with. The first one is from from that friend of mine, Sean, and this comes from a place of and I thought it'd be nice to ask a question from a listener who doesn't really have an interest in UFOs and when I had the conversation about that I said what would you ask to to gents who who say they have a story to tell and have had experiences and I didn't even go into the detail of your experiences and he looked and he was like I'd like to know and he was like really honestly how do you not necessarily convince others but how do you convince yourself that these aren't really vivid dreams that people have and he used the example of having such a vivid dream one night he thought he, he'd he lost money in his home but remembered where it was and he woke up the next day and actually went to check and he's like, oh no I haven't the money's not there and he wants to know and I think it's a fair question what is it individually you can say to yourself this happened to me and this is why I know this was this was a real event yeah so that's um that that is a great question and you know, it's going to be different for everybody in some regard. I mean, you do, you want to be self-critical, but, you know, a lot of people who are experiencers or even people who have a sighting tend to doubt themselves um, almost so unconsciously, like they, they want to, you know, kind of not pretend it never happened, but it's, you know, what kind of trouble that may that put you in, in a sense of like, now you have to explain this to somebody or something. Um and, and kind of like, if you can't prove it, it's, it's really hard. And for a lot of experiencers, it takes them years to come out and talk openly or even with somebody close to them about uh, an experience like this. You know, fortunately, I, I would say, I guess, for, for people like me and Jay, was we've, we've had experiences where other people were involved. Um, you know, so for me, you know, that that is a blessing, I guess, because you know my family were witness to some, you know, pretty incredible events. Um, but if if you don't have that, uh, you you have to have the courage to do it if you're going to talk about it. And yes, you do have to be self-critical uh, to to an extent. And I would say, you know, use the process of elimination, um, and and see are are there things that that could kind of explain what had happened um and just take note of it you know because there's it, it could be so difficult to even for yourself to say this happened and and come to grips with that right because once once you make that step and even admit to yourself that this happened this happened to me it it changes everything because there, there's no going back at that point so uh what do you think jay yeah, I would I would tend to agree. I I was really blessed in many ways that um I've had many instances uh where other people were around me when an anomalous experiences happened in different modalities uh as people that li regularly listen to that UFO podcast would know. Um I grew up in a haunted what is often referred to as a haunted house. I've had interactions with uh, non-human entities. And thankfully, many of these situations happened around other people. Most people, it's not like that. And 
you know, one of the reasons why people even know who I am is that behind the scenes, I was a confidential source about these things. And one of the reasons people listened to me to begin with is because I had um, many, many people that were able to back me up about that didn't even know each other about various situations. And so, you know, that perks up, that tends to perk up people's ears. And so that's, for example, why uh, Ralph, one of the reasons why Ralph Blumenthal wrote about me last year in that debrief article that was originally slated for the New York Times. Now, you know, a lot of people don't have that situation. They don't have that, they don't have that to go off of, you know, they might have a situation that only lasts like two minutes of their life and it's by themselves. And if nobody else was around, they only had their own experience and it shifts their framework for the, the, the nature of reality for many years to come. And then what do they do with that? And, you know, I think that that's a bigger question in and of itself, which I think addresses what your friend was coming at it with. It's like, what do you do with that? How do you deal with that? And I think to a large degree, we only have our senses. You know, we have our senses to work with and we do the best we can with the senses that we have. And we could even have a incredibly impactful dream right? Like you were talking about with your friend. And that can actually affect how you process and how you think about your life. And in fact, a lot of people think that that's what dreams are for, right? We have these dreams so that we can kind of process and message things to ourselves differently on different levels, right? Mm -hmm. And so one thing that I would suggest is that, you know, regardless of whether you can find a fundamental objective truth to, to your own personal experience, try to take in that 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 experience happened to you in a sensory way and think about how it's impacted you and think about like how do you process that how do we retroactively kind of make invest in processing and integrating that into what your emotional development is going to be like through the rest of your life and how you're going to treat other people about that and how you're going to treat yourself about it because a lot of times people have like self-worth issues. Like, am I going crazy? Like, this shouldn't have happened to me. You know, there's a lot of kind of self-hatred that can happen, honestly, with people when they're dealing with these, these subjects. And so as much as it becomes about, to a lot of people in the kind of general popular culture aspect, people think about like, oh, well, how can they prove that to me? Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, such a bigger thing is like, how do you prove that to yourself? And I think the biggest thing is like, well, what did that, how did that impact you? And what can you take from that to move forward? You know, some good advice there for people to who, who may want to share their stories. And obviously there's the experiencer group. The links will be in the description. If folks want to reach out and just talk to someone regularly, I get contacted by folks who say they don't want to be on the podcast. They don't want their names read out, but I've had an experience and I've never told anyone or I've seen something and I don't know what it is. And I think that's just a nice first step to reach out to someone you trust and and just have that conversation and people like yourselves are, are there as well. Last couple of questions with the time I've got remaining. Keeping on that theme of entities, and you've discussed this both before as well from Barry, he wants to know when you've had interactions with various entities like prey and mantids, have you ever got a different vibe off of different types of entities, i.e. greys to mantids or, or vice versa or, or others? 
Uh, for me, I, I haven't had a personal interaction with the mantids, but de uh, definitely a spectrum of phenomena. And I will say for me, a million percent, yes. There were different kinds of encounters I had and it's, it seemed obvious um, that it was a different intelligence. And I know this is, this is a huge question, right? Is it one phenomenon posing as several phenomena uh, and, you know, Jacques Vallée's Passport to Magonia has that, you know, the imagery that kind of demonstrates this kind of meta meta intelligence or super intelligence that's working through a myriad of, of kind of masks, so to speak. Um, and I, you know, I don't I don't know what the ultimate answer is to that. But personally, I've when I've had different interactions what, with even what looked differently the the feel was was very distinct definitely a million percent for me yes and jay yeah i i would tend to i would i would absolutely agree um different entities tend to communicate differently they tend to interact differently and um i've seen that i i've heard many reports of others that way but if we're talking about praying mantis like beings or grace yeah they communicate very differently and you know, um, it's a challenging thing to convey to the general audience. But, you know, one thing is about kind of cadence and language. And um, there are differences in how uh, even telepathic communication can come across. And, and what is often the case is that gray beings tend to communicate in kind of a line by line way that's almost uh like a text message almost like um just verbiage coming in in, in a very almost kind of computer like way and say mantis beings you know from reports and from personal experience um we're more talking about these kind of like nests of of visual imagery and words and they tend to unfold in the mind in a really, really interesting way. It's almost more like a, it's more like a series of haikus. It's almost mm -hmm. as if you're getting a haiku in your mind that's mixed with um, a, a gif or two. So you might see like a physical action in your in your mind's eye, as well as a couple lines of text. Most of the articles are taken out. Um, you know, those kinds of beings don't use words like the and or things like that. We're talking, you're, they're using more like verbs and nouns and adjectives sure. uh, mixed with visuals to to communicate with us anyway. And um, it's fascinating. And towards James' point, there's, there's, the, there's the idea like Jacques Vallée where, you know, how many of these beings could possibly be be morphing to appear differently to us for the for you know the sake of deception or for the sake of making us more comfortable or whatever the case may be right and at the same time when somebody encounters these things it's almost like if you were to encounter a cat and then you were to encounter a, a child and then you were to encounter a dog and you're like yeah. they all three of those interacted with me very very differently and they clearly could not have uh um uh costumed as another of those right you know sure. the, the, a kid can't impersonate a dog very well you know they i mean they can it'll be cute but will it be accurate probably not yeah 
right? And and so along similar lines, you know, is it possible that that some of those beings could masquerade as each other? Absolutely. And at the same time, it would almost be as if, you know, James or I were to be to act not only as if we were fluid Chinese speakers, but we were also kind of speaking in a backwards and ancient dialect of Chinese rather than English or something like that. It And that's at its most base a reflection of the kind of differentiation that can happen here. You're, you're clearly looking at a, a mind that maps things quite differently in, in many of these cases. And a final question from longtime contributor Dave Smethurst. Uh, hi to Dave. <clears throat> Do James and Jay think we're seeing a bigger emphasis on the experiencer element of the phenomenon lately, particularly as more people like Gary Nolan are openly discussing their experiences? Uh, Jay, will we kick off with you, then finish with James? Um, you know, I think that experiencers, when people talk about our experiencers coming into more play, I think a, another way to frame that is are people um, treating them with with the respect they deserve or the kind of, uh, or are they looking at them in a more objective and understanding framework? Because the reality is, is that un- experiencers are the absolute base of this whole field. And my, it, from my perspective, and I think on a relatively objective framework, you don't have a field of ufology if you don't have experiencers. You know, what you have is a series of reports and people trying to map that out and put something together. Even if you're talking about David David Fravor or whoever else that's coming at things from a governmental or military framework, you're still eventually getting to a person that's in some form of authority or non-authority. You're dealing with a civilian or you're dealing with somebody that's not a civilian that, that had a situation. And then they decided to write about it or talk about it in whatever way they did. And if it wasn't for those people, there would be nothing. You know, there would be absolutely nothing in terms of like the conversations that we're having, because as skeptics of the community often state, we don't have enough physical proof. So it comes down to so much within the the what we have from experiencer cases. And so when when I hear, are we listening to the experiencers more? I hope so. And I hear, I hope that like John Keel hoped, say 50 years ago, that what we're hearing is an unedited version of what those experiencers had. Because for too long, researchers would shave off details that they found inconvenient or thought would be hard to believe. And, you know, that went back so far that, you know, we see drawings of gray aliens that are wearing like belts and boots and stuff like that from the early days. And then we hear more accounts and they're like, oh, they usually just kind of seem like they're naked. Um, But even at a certain time, that was hard to believe that you'd see a being that was that different coming out of a craft and they were just, you know, bald ass naked. Right. Or they were (laughs) they were naked. And and then that was so hard to believe that people would shift their own narrative to, to accommodate the situation where some of these beings would be wearing clothes or different clothes and things like that. And so I think from my perspective, what I want to hear more is the unedited accounts. And I would like to hear more researchers finding those points where they start to feel uncomfortable because those details don't necessarily map out or match up with what they think is supposed to be happening and then lead with that 
lead into the areas of the inconvenient truths because people like Hal Putoff will tell us over and over and over again that the cases that don't make sense and the cases that have the strangest aspects to try to put together are often the ones that we can learn from the most. James? Yeah, so I think what we're seeing here is, uh, is like an organic um, blossoming of, of the conversation right now in regards to everything that's going on, where you know you have people like Jim Semivan, who was really high up in the CIA for many years, openly talking about his experiences. And you know, people like uh, Dr. Gary Nolan, you know, again, somebody with who, who's a Nobel nominee uh, and uh, you know, brilliant scientist coming out as an experiencer and, and sharing some of the details of his experiences. And I think that it's 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 occurring now because the momentum is there. Um, you know, the destigma, you know, it's it's destigmatized to the extent where people feel more comfortable and encouraged to maybe share some of their experiences. So I, I do think that it is again a natural evolution of the conversation to where people feel um, more comfortable nowadays with the stigma more at bay and diminishing um, where where people are you know open to sharing their experiences more so I think that's kind of what we're seeing happen and gents that is pretty much us for for time what I'd like to ask though just for a final pitch to the listeners, not that you need to sell it any more than you already have. It's, it's looking a w- wonderful event. I think the quality of the speakers speak for themselves. Again, apologies, I've not mentioned them enough, but not just yourselves as hosts, uh, but the wonderful Priscilla Stone of Quantum Witch Cafe and Kelly Chase of UFO Rabbit Hole Podcast are both helping with hosting duties as well. Uh, your final thoughts on what people can expect if they either turn up in person or if they sign into the virtual event. Yeah, I mean, again, the, the in-person event uh, is going to be very intimate. It's a, it's a, you know, only about 140 people at this event in, in a very beautiful space. So I think that people who go in person are, are going to definitely, uh, you know, be able to speak to the, the the participants, but also the different people attending there, um, and they'll have an opportunity to network and and you know make those connections and actually see people in person. Um, you know, again, for people who are, who are tuning in from the live stream, I, I can't emphasize enough, uh, you know, this is an attend, this is an event that I would want to, to go to. This is an event that I would want to attend, um, because of the, the, the people speaking there, right. Um, you know, Dr. Gary Nolan, of course, is, has really been leading the conversation now, and it's an honor to have him there as well as everybody else. So again, I think it's going to be very inclusive and, and, and cutting edge and I, I don't want to like toot our own horns but I, I really think that what we're bringing here with this conference and event is kind of where the the conversation is is beginning to go and where it will be going for the for the years to come yeah i i i completely agree with james i th- i think for those that might be thinking about attending virtually you know what james and i are trying to do here and i think we were having a conversation, Andy, before we got uh, into the recording zone here today about like looking at the future of events within our field. And I think we recognize that that people like ourselves have been making moves within this field. We've been having conversations with others. We've been making important connections. 
and that it's important for the field of these conferences and in-person events to evolve, to match the, the level of integrity and intellectual rigor that we've been, we've been encouraging within this community. You know, I think that's incredibly important. And, you know, just as far as a generational thing goes, we see conferences often happen and, um, and we kind of graft our, our enthusiasm into a situation that might be kind of more, more in the general kind of ancient aliens framework of the field or something like that. And that can be totally okay. You know, uh, people that that'll be there that day at our conference um, have appeared on shows like that for sure. And that's totally cool. Um, but, you know, in a situation like this, it's important, I think, to kind of um, vote with your interest in terms of like the kinds of conversations that you want to see in this field in the future and, and the kinds of of conversations, the kind of networking, the kinds of moves that people can kind of push forward uh, to to grow the community and grow the conversation and create leading edge situations. So for those of of, of you that are listening out there virtually, um, that might be interested in a virtual ticket, you know, what we're going to be creating is a very intimate situation. And not only will you be able to watch it live, you'll have an archival recording afterwards. And that's significant. And I think what you'll see is you'll see a, a, a quality of, of congeniality and, and forward level thinking that is rare in in these kinds of public conversations you know people are used to having a shtick in conferences and people are used to going out and kind of like doing their thing or something like this and we intentionally chose people that are that are consistently looking at the field in such a way that they're constantly trying to flip things over and look at things from a fresh approach and we think that that kind of energy is going to really come across in this very intimate event so uh if you're interested you know we have limited tickets um 19 live in-person tickets and we have about 700 i think left virtually something like that and so please get out there as soon as humanly possible um i'm sure andy will put links in the description and uh we'll create a a, a code for that ufo podcast folks uh to be able to to get those tickets so thank you all so much. Awesome. And thank you both. And those virtual tickets are limited, folks, because you could just put out an unlimited amount, but to limit it gives you the optimal bandwidth, performance and presentation as well for watching it virtually. So um, I wish you all the best with this event. And I genuinely mean I would love to have been there. Uh, next time, I'll do my very best. Uh, the event is called An Inquiry into Anomalous Experiences and the Phenomenon. Links are in the description. The event takes place October 8th in New York City at the Helen Mills Theatre. Uh, James and Jay, thank you both very much and best of luck with the upcoming event. Thank you so much, Andy. Andy, it's a, an absolute pleasure to be on the show again. Thank you so much for making the time. Deeply appreciated. Did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising? With 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them. Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, Zencaster's Creator Network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. 
Zencaster's mission is to make podcast advertisements as easy and accessible to business owners as Google or Facebook. Host-read ads like this are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Zencaster's creator network is the perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favorite creators like me. I've worked with Zencaster now for some time and they've truly put the content creators and the listeners at the heart of what they do. As a huge fan of podcasts myself, and I really mean that, I love podcasts. I often buy products or services that I find useful to me based on those pods that I'm listening to. It supports them and there's usually a good discount to go along with it. So if you're interested in sponsoring this show or another podcast with adverts for your business, go to zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod one that's the number one, or click the link in the description and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little bit. Meditative game of state full on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. Then I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head and everything was weird and everything was red. My boys, they thought this was noise, they thought it was a dream, they thought it was my toys, they thought it was my problems, and they think I should seek therapy, and I don't know what it is, because it doesn't really scare me.